0: Good morning. How do you follow something like that? I tried to get one of those little masks up there, but the elder said no. No, it was not fitting. If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us also online, and happy Easter. Everybody's here. So a while back, I read on the Mockingbird blog about business that started up in North Korea, and here it is. For 90 bucks, you pay to be an inmate who's put in solitary confinement. Now, you heard me right. For $90, you give up all your electronics, you give up all your stuff, you get a blue prison uniform, you get a yoga mat, you get a tea set, you sleep on the, the floor, you have a toilet, but no mirror, and you get a pen and a notebook. Why, why, why is this business going? Well, the lady who started it said it was my husband, he was a, a prosecuting attorney, and he said sometimes, man, I, I, what I would do just to go into solitary confinement. She said, ah, we'll give that a shot. So now, for 90 bucks, you get 24 hours. You don't have to do electronics, you don't have to do anything, you don't have to. And people are signing up for this. $90 to be put into solitary confinement. And the reaction when people get out, generally speaking, is the prison isn't in there. The prison's out here. Because I got so much going on, and I can't shut it off, and it's driving me crazy. That 90 bucks with my blue prison uniform and my mat and my tea set and my toilet without a mirror. It It was money well invested. Is that what we've come to in our world? It is so stressed out. I can't handle it. So where do we find peace amidst life's turmoil? I want to talk about that this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to John chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 19 and we're going to go through verse 29. Wrestling with that question, where do we find peace amidst life's turmoil? If you don't have a Bible, we will put the pertinent verses up here. But as you're turning there, let me get us up to speed. It is the afternoon of the first Easter. Now, Easter is the day in which Christians believe that Jesus came back from the dead. He was crucified at the hands of the Jews, and the Jews had to get the Romans involved because they didn't have the right to give capital punishment. He was verified dead. He was on the cross. They put a spear in his side, and the discharge showed he's dead. They wrapped him in death garments and put him in a tomb and put a major rock over it and sealed it with the seal of the Roman Empire and put a guard in front to keep him in there. That was Friday afternoon. We believe Sunday morning, according to the plan of God from eternity past, he came back from the dead. It's the cornerstone of our faith. It's why we meet every Sunday, because we believe Jesus is the Son of God, eternal Son of God, risen from the dead. And so it's that first Easter afternoon in verse 19, it says this. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Now, have you been with us? You heard me say that if you go from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis all the way through the end of Revelation, God's number one command to his people is, do not fear. And here are Jesus' 11 closest associates. Remember, it was 12. Judas betrayed him, so Judas is out of the picture. They spent three years with Jesus, and they're living in fear. Why? Because Jesus threatened. This is what God Jesus put on the cross. He threatened the powers of Israel. Israel was a theocracy, so those religious leaders not only had spiritual authority, they had civil authority. And Jesus starts gathering crowds, and whoa, this is getting out of hand. And like I said, they didn't have the authority to do capital punishment, so they bring the Romans in on it, and they present to the Romans, this guy's leading an insurrection. Well, the disciples think, well, the Jews took out Jesus the leader. Will they go for the next level of leadership? So they're living in fear. It says this. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, "Peace be with you." Three times we'll see this verse, this statement in 12 verses, three times. "Peace," Jesus says. "Peace be with you." Now I want to clarify, uh, the peace that Jesus offers is very different from that of the world. Right before he went to the cross, Jesus' followers were confused. He said, where I'm going, you can't go. I've left everything to follow you for three years. And Jesus said this in John 14, 27 about his peace. Here's what he says. Peace I leave, leave with you. Now, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. See, the world says the peace is all, you know, finally gets What the, the relationship is solved. The, the the, the, the work situation is worked out. The, the school stress is dealt with. The, the health issues. Go, but that ain't life. Jesus so said, no, no, no. We're not waiting for that to go. Right in the middle of that, I give you my peace. It's not dependent on circumstances. So whatever's going on, he says, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be. Here's our word again. Fearful. I have a peace that goes beyond circumstances. I have a peace that takes hold in the midst of of circumstances. And when he had said this, verse 20, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Why his hands? Because his hands were punctured when he's put on the cross. Why his side? Because they thought he was dead, but they want to confirm it, so they stick a spear in there. So Jesus said, look, look, it's really me. Ah, we have confirmation. The disciples rejoiced. So, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, here's our statement, peace be with you. But now i got a mission for you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So he is sending them out with a message. We'll get to that message in just a minute. Before he does that, he equips them. Verse 22, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, many of you know your Bible. Say, well, what about, Andy, 40 days later, Jesus ascends, and Pentecost happens, and God pours out the Spirit. I think Jesus is giving a down payment of the Spirit, if you will, to empower these disciples to lead the church for the next 40 days. But then the fullness of the Spirit will come upon every believer. But for now, as he is wont to do, Jesus equips them and us for this ministry. And here's the ministry, verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they've been retained. Now, people will read this and say, oh, that he's giving the disciples the power to forgive sin. No, the power to forgive sin only lies with God. It only lies with one who is perfect, and that's Jesus. But Jesus, in a sense, is deputizing them. You go in my name And you offer forgiveness, and the person who believes is forgiven. The person who chooses not to is not. That's the message you have. Think about a judge who rules that a a prisoner is to be released. He charges the sheriff to do that. That sheriff has unique authority, but doesn't have ultimate authority. The authority comes from the judge. That's what's going on here. Jesus is giving the disciples the authority to take the message to the world that sin has been forgiven. And that's what Easter's about. From eternity past, God created you and me to be in a relationship with him. That means we follow his lead. But what we did, what you did, and what I did, is we said, no, I think I'm going to do my own thing. And if you've been a parent or a grandparent, what's, if it's not the first word, but what's one of the first words your kids gets? No. I want you to do that. No that's innate. That's that's our rebellion. We push back against authority, and we sure push back against God's. That created a separation. Jesus came and lived the life we are supposed to live, 30 years, humble, a carpenter's son. His last three years of life, he went into public ministry and began to proclaim the kingdom of God. And, And that... Brought the crowds out and he, he authenticated his ministry with miracles and said, I, I'm unique among God. And, and even among his opponents, one time there was an argument and, and he said, John 8 46, which one of you finds any sin among me? I wouldn't even say that among my friends, let alone my opponents. But the, the answer was silence. Jesus had no sin penalty to pay, but he rose from the dead. First, he was crucified and he rose from the dead. To forgive your sin and my sin. But if you've never trusted Christ, I want to invite you to consider doing that today. What a great day it would be, Easter, to begin your relationship with God. And it's not something you have to do. It's it's a statement of faith. God, I believe. I accept the forgiveness that you've been offered by Jesus. And, And the disciples have this mission, and the church has this mission. That's why we're talking about places like Turkana and other places around the world. That's why we're asking you to be Christ in your community because this message needs to go out. In Verse 24, we find out that not all the disciples were there when we met with Jesus. Remember, there were 12. Judas is out of the picture, so there's 11. But in that first meeting, only 10 were there. Thomas wasn't. Verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see... In his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, put my hand to his side, I will not believe. So, so Jesus, before he went to the cross, predicted, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be raised from the dead. On the morning, Easter morning, several women went to the tomb to finish the embalming process that had been short circuited because of the Sabbath, and they found the tomb empty. And the angel said, They're not here. And they ran and they got Peter and John. And Peter and John confirmed there's an empty tomb. So, there's evidence. Now, 10 of these guys, Thomas, we've been with you three years, and I'm telling you, we saw the Lord. And Thomas goes, yeah, I don't believe it. I mean, what's it going to take? But in that, I see your tendency and my tendency to doubt. Thomas says, i to see his hands. I'm not going to believe. Eight days later, verse 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, And stood in their midst. Again, he doesn't kick it down. He doesn't open the door. He just comes in. He's God, but he's God in a human body. And here's what he says. Peace be with you. Third time. Third time. We've heard that statement. He said to Thomas, hey, hey, hey. Reach in here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here, your hand, and put it in my side. And Thomas, do not be unbelieving, but believing. If I had a plea with you this day, would you leave here not being unbelieving? Would you leave being believing? Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. He said, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. We're talking about getting peace in a world of turmoil. We've got pandemics and we've got a war in Russia and we got unrest in our country and we got, what else do we got? And let's just talk about pers- you know, personal stuff. We've all got our personal stuff. You know this, Jesus, when he promised peace to these 11, church history and the Bible tell us 10 of them would die as martyrs. The 11th John would be exiled for his faith. And yet Jesus says, peace be with you. In the midst of those struggles I'm promising you, Peace if you'll believe in me, if you'll simply believe in me. See, we're wrestling with this question, where do we find peace amidst life's turmoil? I said faith gives birth to peace amidst life's turmoil. Yeah, if you guys are getting baptized, you can't on out. Um, Faith gives birth to peace amidst life's turmoil. Notice I didn't say faith automatically. What happens when somebody's birthed? They grow into who they are. But the faith begins the process, and what do we come to understand? That God is in control, and that it isn't all working out, and I don't have it all figured out, but God does have it figured out. Now, if there's anybody in here that needs to hear this message, it's me. It's me. So this week... One of the guys on my team said, here's a book on the Enneagram. We started talking about the Enneagram. And so there's nine of them, nine, nine, nine. And and so you read about them, and they'll tell you a lot of things. But one of the things they'll tell you about is what is the besetting sin of each number? One, two, three, four, five. Well, the besetting sin of number six is fear. And I thought, that's me. And these people are worst-case scenario people. They catastrophize, and they worry. And, and, And the guy said, about half the people in the world are like that. I thought, well, that's me. That's me. I I stress out. So you know what happened to me 28 years ago? I got married, and I married a person who the sky is always blue. There's never been any problems. And so we've had a lot of discussions. Tell me again, Andy, what's, what's the issue here? What's the problem? She said, I have prayed for you the simple gift of faith. You know, at the, at the end of the book, when the, describes, the guy's describing the number six, he said, the biggest thing you can do is pray for faith because it is a gift. And I went back again. What is the definition of faith? Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I remember I said that verse a long time ago. I I, I need to, I need to, because, you know, there's all, don't, don't we always have stuff going on and how's it going to go? And, and part of it is probably my personality. My parents grew up in the Depression and they were worst case scenario, and they, what about every contingency? What about, what about, what about, what about? So I, I lived with that. And it's sucking the life out of me. And God says, Andy, you need to trust me in this. And it, you, our circumstances are never going to be figured out. So let me ask you what is it for you that's draining you? Is it your job? You know, you got a sales quote, and you got, that's always going to be there. Is it a relationship, a kid, a, a spouse, a, and, and you're trying to figure that out, and you've been doing it for the last 12 years, and it's sort of kind of, yeah, maybe, because I want to give you peace in that. Maybe you're a student, and semester's coming up. Stress in there. I want to give you peace in that. Maybe you got a deadline at job. Maybe you got a, an illness. And the treatment says the numbers should be going down, but they keep going up. Because I want to give you peace in that. Where does that peace start? It starts with our faith. Our faith births peace. That though I don't have this thing all figured out, and I may never, I know a God who does. And that's exactly why John writes his gospel. Look at verses 30 and 31. He says, therefore, many other signs... Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Listen, listen, John lived with him three years, traveled with him. He saw him go to the cross. He saw him certify death. He saw the tomb and he saw it empty and he met Jesus. He said, man, I want you to know what I've known. So I'm writing this gospel. If you're a person in process here considering faith, I hope we're a place that you would consider in your space as you consider that. What I want to ask you to do is would you consider reading the Gospel of John, a chapter a day, 21 chapters. You can do it in three weeks. Take about 10 minutes a day. Why? Because I think if you truly come to faith, you'll find a peace that's not of this world, a peace that only Jesus can give. But it starts with believing Him, trusting Him as the Son of God who has forgiven your sin. World War II had a uh, pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who stood up to the Nazis. He said, I'm not, I'm going to speak out against what's going on. And it landed him in prison. Uh, A group of people made a film about his life, and in this one, seen a young man, probably 18, 19 year old. last name is Kitchener, is next door and, he, and he's weeping. And Bonhoeffer said, I, I want to pray for you. And the young man says, I don't believe in God. Bonhoeffer said, I'm gonna pray anyway. And I'm gonna put my hand on the wall. Would you put your hand on the other side of that wall? So he begins to pray. Lord, it's dark in me, in you, his day and all of a sudden you see a hand come up I'm alone but you will stay I'm afraid you never cease I'm at war in you is peace the next scene you heard gunshot and the guard comes in to Bonhoeffer said the lad Kitchener was executed this morning But I'd like you to know, much to our surprise, he was very calm. Didn't change his circumstance, but it gave him a peace he didn't have. I cannot promise you God will take your hard circumstances away. I can't, in good conscience, but I can tell you this. There's a peace that is inexplicable, that is not of this world, that only comes from Jesus, knowing that he's a good God, knowing that he died for you, and knowing that he is all in control. I pray that even this Easter, you would find him.